Holy Father, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever had to, um, I should say it's a privilege, have you ever had the privilege of serving on a jury for a trial? I did that last year. I tell you it's a privilege. Um, jury duty. Um, but one thing I noticed, and I think it's just true in general, is that in the midst of a jury trial, it's the strength of the eyewitnesses from both the defense and the prosecution which make all the difference in the case. The strength of the eyewitnesses. That's the crucial key. You know, those eyewitnesses were there. They have a specific testimony. They saw the events firsthand, and those events changed them. Well, just as an eyewitness account in a court of law holds the most weight, the disciples and the apostles who lived and walked and ministered alongside Jesus Christ, they are the ones that give us irrefutable proof in the pages of Scripture detailing who he was and why he came to earth in the form of man. This microphone's still popping. Sorry. Now it's at my ear. Okay. Is that better? Worse? No. Is that better? Yeah. According to our book of John, um, we. Sorry. The sound thing is. See, Andy? I don't want you guys just to be breathing either, so I'm trying to wind <laughs> up my nose. According to the Gospel of John that we'll be studying this week, or this year, uh, this is an eyewitness account, if you think about it, of somebody who lived with Jesus for three years, broke bread with Jesus, saw Jesus heal minds and bodies and spirits. The Apostle John knew that Jesus Christ was the long-awaited Messiah, the eternal, immortal, immutable Son of God. So this morning I will be hitting some key aspects about the book of John to set the stage for the rest of the year. If you're joining Grace and Truth for the first time, um, know that each week's lesson, the lecture time, will be kind of summarized on an outline. And those outlines will be either up front at this table, in the reception hall, or in the back of the chapel. So be sure to grab one of those as you come in each week. Um, the outlines are really just a place to, they're kind of a jumping off point for you to take notes and follow along. Today's outline is also just meant to give you some background of um, our study in the Book of John. And then next week, we'll take a more broad view of all 22 chapters of this beautiful gospel. So looking at your outline, if you have one, in our first division this morning, we're going to briefly look at the theme of the book of John. The gospel according to John is a portion of scripture that is both, it's simple, yet it's profound. 
It's accessible, yet it's theologically deeper than the ocean. If you've studied the Bible before, you may have heard that the books of Matthew, Mark, and John, are, excuse me, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels. That means, synoptic means similar or um, viewed together. The Synoptic Gospels share similar stories of Jesus' ministry and mission, but from different perspectives. Matthew presents Jesus as the Messiah King. Mark reveals him as our servant redeemer. Luke, the physician, directs his attention toward Jesus as the perfect man. And John will certainly touch on some of those concepts this year in the Gospel of John. Okay, I can do that. This is so tangled in my hair, too. Okay. Thank you, Beth. Except now that's going to move. How's that? verse of this gospel narrative, John is laser focused on establishing the divine nature of Jesus Christ. The apostle John knew full well that if people assented to the fact of Jesus' perfection and being a human being, but failed to acknowledge him as the son of God, they would never be truly, deeply transformed. John knew, I think from the core of his being, that while living alongside Jesus for those three whole years, he had been in the presence of God. And John testified to that reality until he took his last breath. In spite of his love for Jesus, John never speaks lightly of who Jesus Christ was and is in his character and his divinity. This is not one of those bromance, movie adventure type of things where a couple of guys are just palling around. Throughout the Gospel of John, we'll see the Apostle's reverence and his awe over being with the Word made flesh. John the Apostle presents the evidence for the Son of God, chapter by chapter, event by event. And to make sure that the readers get the picture, John states his theme very clearly in chapter 20, and you'll read that this week when you do your overview reading. Verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20 say this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. His intention is pretty clear. 
So here's our principle and our application for this first division. The Holy Spirit is one primary means of our... No, excuse me. It's the Holy Bible. The Holy Bible, along with the Holy Spirit illuminating it, is one of the primary means by which we can come to know and worship God's only Son, Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus Christ, the author of salvation, is to entrust yourself. You're giving your entire self fully and completely into his care. To be a disciple of Christ is to have life, not just an existence on this earth, but true, deep, satisfying life that is a glory to the Heavenly Father. So here's my question to you. And maybe, maybe this is more of a personal challenge to you. Will you personally commit the time this year to immerse yourself in John's gospel so that you can more deeply know Jesus Christ and his plan for your life? There is no endeavor more worthy of your time and attention. Pray for him to give you a unquenchable hunger, an unquenchable hunger, a desire to study his word this year. For our second division, we're going to briefly step, set the stage for the gospel according to John by answering the five W's of this portion of scripture, which is what they taught us to do in journalism school way back when. So who wrote it? What was his purpose? Where and when was the gospel written? And why did it matter in John's day? And why does it matter to us today? So the who. Well, it's widely accepted by scholars that the gospel according to John was written by John, the brother of James. And they were both sons of Zebedee and Salome. Their family were fishermen by trade. John is believed to have been among a group of Galileans who initially followed John the Baptist until they were called to follow Jesus as he began his public ministry. John and his brother James were among the 12 chosen by Jesus to be apostles, as recorded in Luke chapter 6. And within the apostles, there was an inner circle. And that inner circle was comprised of Peter, John, and his brother James. After the ascension of Jesus, John was known as one of the pillars of the early church in Jerusalem, along with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. At that point in history of the early church, James, the brother of John, had been martyred, so he was dead. So what was John's purpose in writing this gospel account? One purpose was to prevent those who heard the gospel message from falling into the traps of heresy. You know, people today dismiss easily the deity of Christ and count him just as a special teacher, someone that we should emulate as a good person. That's kind of a phenomenon that we see here in our modern day, but it was just as true in the day of John. The Gnostics, who sprang up in the early church, taught that the divine nature of Jesus Christ The spirit, this divine spirit, left his body before he was nailed to the cross. And that's completely discounting that his dying a physical death as the perfect lamb of God was our means of salvation. 
Here's a key truth that is essential to transformative faith. God delivered his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a tree. And his divinity never left him. That's why Jesus was able to exclaim from the cross as he took his last breath, It is finished. Where and when was this book written? Well, tradition tells us that after Christ's ascension, the Apostle John later went to Ephesus, probably right before the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened around 70 A.D. John likely wrote his gospel account and his three epistles, those are letters, um, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, in Ephesus. And he wrote all of them probably sometime between 80 and 90 A.D. He was eventually exiled by the Romans for a time to the island of Patmos, where he received the vision from God that we know as the book of Revelation. And that was probably written between about 95 and 96 A.D. It must have thrilled John's heart to see the magnificent unveiled picture of the triumph of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. God certainly preserved the life of the Apostle John for his own glory. He outlived every other apostle that Jesus had chosen by far. Why is the book of John important? Again, because of the theological and historical evidence the gospel of John lays out for us, we can have assurance that Jesus is who he said he was. And that's not just for our own intellectual confirmation that we may believe, but it's for our spiritual confirmation that we may have life. It's both of those together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Those are the words that John wrote in his first epistle, John 1, 5-13. Do you see the verbs in there? What we have heard, what we have seen, what we have touched. This is an eyewitness account like no other. John the Apostle wrote this gospel in the midst of a culture that was immersed in emperor worship. We tend to look around and think today that oh, things have never been this bad. People have abandoned God. Well, because we assume that John was in Ephesus when he was directed by the Holy Spirit to write his gospel and his three epistles, he would have witnessed probably many parades, many episodes of emperor worship, processions in the street where people gathered together, devoted to Caesar, and chanting, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is God, over and over. Caesar worship hasn't ceased to exist. It's just taken out a different form in our day. False deities are all around us. 
on social media. They squawk from our TVs. Or they silently creep into the corners, the dark places in our hearts and minds, turning us away from the true word of God, from the commands of God's word. This year, as you study the gospel according to John, we're all going to have some idols exposed. And they'll be exposed for the impotent, life-robbing lies that they are. When we come to faith and believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, that he is the one and only Son of God, our cry is Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is God. God used John to deliver an incredible invitation to you and to me to enter into fellowship with the Son of God who formed us, who came to find us, and who died to redeem us. How can our study of the Gospel of John and the rest of Scripture give us confidence that the Bible we hold in our hands is historically accurate rather than a collection of legends that some people will say it is. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, we will hold to Jesus' view of Scripture. It will become our view of Scripture. We can accept the Bible is factual because Jesus said it was, and we'll see that multiple times this year as we study the book of John. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, Jesus petitioned God, his Father, on behalf of his disciples and us. Jesus prayed, sanctify them, meaning set them apart, in the truth. Your word is truth. Are you living in that truth today? Or are you shaken by doubts about God, doubts about who Jesus is, or whether a life of faith in Jesus Christ can really make a difference in this broken world? You know what? God can handle all your doubts. He can handle all your skepticism, all your fear. It's no accident that any of us are in this room. God wants you to know, he wants me to know, with all certainty, that he and the Son are one and the same. He wants you to know that the Holy Spirit came to make his home in your heart and in your mind, that you might glorify God, make him known, and enjoy him forever. The Christian faith is a call to submit to the one who created us, to believe in the name of Jesus, and to have the life, the freedom of life that belief in him offers us. In fact, the word believe is the key word we'll see this year in the gospel according to John. Believe is a verb. It's a verb. And belief impacts our actions, or it should. Belief involves gleaning knowledge from the Word of God and then seeking the guidance from the Holy Spirit, but also it, it involves volition, a response, a response to the call of Jesus Christ 
the call that he extends to you and to me. So what are you going to say to his call? That's really our main lesson for today, and it's on your outline. Coming face-to-face with the Son of God demands a response. It's either going to be a call of faith, a call to faith, or an admission of unbelief. Those are the two options. There's no riding the fence when you come to meet Jesus. It's the most important response a person will ever make. Eternity is now. Eternity is now. Let me close our time in prayer. Holy Father, your beautiful word tells us that your steadfast love is better than life. And that knowledge should cause us to consistently lift our hearts in praise to you. You alone can satisfy our souls. As we enter into our study of John's gospel this year, prepare our hearts to lay down any idols that would blind us or distract us. Use the Holy Spirit to fill us and apply the truth of Scripture to every area of our lives. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And as our great physician, we trust you to perform the transplant surgery that our hearts need to live fully and deeply with you. We look forward with great anticipation and expectancy to being transformed and shaped by you as we respond to your call to believe. It's in the powerful and pursuing name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.